Hey guys, what's up? It's Pete Mundo with HeartlandCollegeSports.com. Once again, we turn the calendar to February, and I cannot thank you enough for all your support. Our podcast numbers have steadily increased over the past five months. That's because of you. Please do rate, review, subscribe to us, iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. That would be so appreciative. And share it as well. Friends, family, even people you hate. Just uh, anything. We appreciate that. Enjoy the show. We'll talk to you soon. Safeties drop really deep. Handoff sermon over the left side. Big hole. 30. First down. 25. 20. Breaks a tackle. 15. 10. 5. The minister is into the end zone. Preach. Mason takes the ball, fakes a handoff, fires over the middle. It's caught by Aitman, and he takes it into the end zone. He juggled it for a moment, but got it back. Pistols firing. Touchdown, Oklahoma State's Marcel Aitman. There's more to us than that. Two receivers left, one right. Quarterback keeper here, 30-yard line. Jesse, 25-20, 15-10-5 to the goal line. Touchdown, 35 yards on the run for Jesse Ertz. Turpin in motion, they fake to him, hand to Hicks, he'll walk in and score. Hit the horn with 7.39 to play in the second quarter, and the Horn Frogs now go up 13 to 7 in advance. 2,000 country stations, yeah, we're one big country nation, that's right. So I have heard a lot, and I mean a lot, of complaining from Big 12 basketball fans over the past several days. Pete Mundo with you, Heartland College Sports Weekly. Always appreciate you joining us. First time of the show, I'm Pete Mundo, heartlandcollegesports.com, our independently owned and operated Big 12 website. Really appreciate you joining us, and of course our radio show is heard throughout four Big 12 states podcast, everything you need on heartlandcollegesports.com. So the Big 12 SEC Challenge was not a good one this year. First time in the five years they've been doing this that the Big 12 lost. It dropped six games and only won four. Now, I, you know, we were all predicting that the Big 12, this deep, great quality conference, which it is, would go, what, seven and three, maybe even eight and two? Well, that didn't happen. It went four and six. And, you know, you look at it, and it was just a bad weekend. There's no other way to say it. It was a bad weekend for this conference. But I've heard a lot of Big 12 fans saying, you know, we got to stop doing this. We, we got to stop giving the uh, SEC the time of day. Our conference schedule is brutal. I mean, every night it's a different team, and it's so difficult. And we just we can't be messing with these little, you know, weasels over in the SEC right now. We can't do it. You know what you sound like? You sound like SEC football fans who say to themselves, you know, we can't bother with these non-conference games against the lowly Big 12. We're in the SEC uh, meat grinder week in, week out. We, we can't deal with the Pac-12 and the Big 12 and even the Big 10 or the ACC. They're, you know, they're our underlings. We just, we just play each other. 
Don't be an SEC fan. You know, don't become an SEC football fan that we knock that conference for year in, year out in their weak non-conference schedules on the football field. And I've heard some Big 12 fans who have kind of taken that approach here, and I've been disappointed in that. I wrote about it on the site, and I was thinking to myself, geez, I, I have been surprisingly disappointed by the reaction. It was just a bad weekend. Baylor and Iowa State played like garbage. I mean, you know, Iowa State's a team, you just don't know what you're getting night to night because they're young and they're developing. Next year, they're going to be a lot better, but it's just a total crapshoot. You got a bad game from Iowa State. Alabama locked down Trey Young. Nobody has played that kind of defense on Trey Young this season because of the long guards they had. They face guarded him when he was away from the ball, and it worked out beautifully. Oklahoma State and TCU, those games could have gone either way. Unfortunately, they went against the Big 12. And then West Virginia blew another double-digit lead in the second half. <laughs> I mean, you know, that's a whole other topic, but that's what happened for the Big 12 in that SEC challenge. It's not the end of the world. The good news in basketball is that the non-conference is so much more in-depth just because the sport can be played multiple times a week that it's not as big a deal. It's not going to drastically affect the RPI, but I do think it hurt the overwhelming opinion, or at least of some, that the Big 12 Conference was head and shoulders the best basketball conference in the country. You can now debate that. Because we just had the SEC, the Big 12 SEC Challenge, and the Big 12 couldn't even win half of them. Pete Mundo with you on Heartland College Sports Weekly. I look at this as well, and the reality is this, in what was a bad weekend for the Big 12 Conference. There is an advantage for the SEC, and the advantage is as follows. The SEC has 14 teams, the Big 12 only has 10. So all 10 Big 12 teams play versus the top 10 for the SEC. So the bottom four teams from the previous season standings do not play in that year's Big 12 SEC Challenge. So sometimes that works out great, sometimes it doesn't. Now this year, Vanderbilt and Texas A&M are at the bottom of the SEC basketball standings, but they weren't in the bottom four last year. So they played in this year's Big 12 SEC Challenge. One won, one lost. So it's not always the case where, well, you know, we got the top 10 teams. We don't have to use our bottom four. This year, they had to use two of their bottom four, and they split their game. So the built-in advantage is for the SEC, but it doesn't always work out that way. That's only in theory. I like this Big 12 SEC challenge. And Andy Staples uh, at Sports Illustrated, actually a colleague of mine where I do some freelance work, he thought of a really cool idea, which is take this weekend and make it like a an event at a neutral site location, whether it's Nashville, Kansas City, Atlanta, Dallas. I think it'd be a lot of fun. You know, I, I know being on campus is great, and there's you know there's nothing like being in a campus arena. But think about the Big Twelve tournament. Think about the Power and Light District uh, if you've ever been there. It is it's just a blast. Any Big 12 team, any Big 12 fan that's been to that event, you got to have a good time. I mean, if you can't have a good time at the Big 12 basketball tournament there in Kansas City, you don't have a pulse. That's what it comes down to because that event is as good as it gets. 
So I wouldn't mind seeing something like that and just rotating it Big 12 City one year, SEC City the following year, and just go back and forth. And do it a neutral site. I mean, play games all day. You could do two days, Saturday, Sunday. Just, of course, make sure whoever's playing Sunday is not playing on Big Monday. That's an obvious thing for the schedule makers. I just think there's more potential to either showcase Big 12 basketball. I've heard some fans say, move this Big 12 SEC challenge to non-conference play. Well, then you're just copying what the ACC and the Big 10 do, and they get more respect when it comes to college basketball anyway. So why follow the lead of the conferences you're chasing when it comes to basketball respectability? That doesn't make any sense to me. So I, I like the idea of making this a real event. And yes, you could have sat there last Saturday and started at noon Eastern and gone until what? Uh, 9, 10 o'clock Eastern at night. And you could have watched Big 12 basketball for 10 straight hours. But unless you are a fan of that team or a diehard Big 12 guy like myself and like many of you, you weren't doing that. And frankly, if you weren't a fan of the Big 12 or the SEC, you weren't really locked in on this event because didn't know much about it. You know, it's that awkward week between the Super Bowl and the or the championship games and the Super Bowl. You got the Super Bowl week coming up, all the hype surrounding that. People are still trying to figure out what to do with their weekends without football now. Uh, you got the Pro Bowl, but who's going to watch that? I'm not spending two seconds on the Pro Bowl. So you have a chance to really make a mark and create an event in January around this Big 12 SEC Challenge. I'd like to see it done. Heck, I mentioned Kansas City. If you've been to Nashville, you've been to Nashville? Bridgestone Arena, fantastic venue right there off of Broadway. A great city, a great downtown, all the music, great food. It's as good as it gets. And then you'd have Big 12 fans, SEC fans colliding in these cities and just having fun with each other and making it a good weekend because there's nothing else there to block you on the schedule. Once again, Pro Bowl, Senior Bowl, uh, some golf. I mean, we're really picking at straws here. So make it an event. I love the thought of it, and I hope that's something that the Big 12 does does take a little more seriously as they continue with this Big 12 SEC challenge. But it was not a good weekend for the Big 12. Just don't 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 complain about it. Don't make excuses. Don't say we shouldn't bother with this thing anymore. Big 12 is hard enough because then you sound like an SEC football fan. And we all know, especially here at Heartland College Sports, we don't like SEC football fans. We don't. So let's not go there. Pete Mundo with you on Heartland College Sports Weekly. The Senior Bowl also took place. Just mentioned that. What should we take away from the performances from the Big 12 players? Also, you know what we've got coming back? College game day. Two straight weeks at a Big 12 stadium. Good? Bad? What does it say about ESPN? We'll get to it next here on Heartland College Sports Weekly. So in the Senior Bowl this past week, a couple of Big 12 players were underutilized or poorly used. A couple 
had nice games. Pete Munda with you, Heartland College Sports Weekly, owner of HeartlandCollegeSports.com, your independent Big 12 media outlet. Go check us out. New content every day, audio, video, written, just everything you need at HeartlandCollegeSports.com. So let's, the elephant in the room, of course, is Baker Mayfield, who we didn't know whether or not he was going to play. He ends up playing. He finished 3-7 of seven for 9 yards and played a couple of series, and that was about it. I don't think Baker Mayfield did anything to hurt or help him. He had a drop ball that wasn't his fault. Uh, Jalen Scott from the Mexico State dropped the ball that was right in his hands on a slant route. Not his fault. Uh, he did get a little bit of pressure and, and was late, a half second late on a throw once again. What you saw from Baker Mayfield in two series is not going to make or break anything that happens with this guy in the NFL draft. He has been as scrutinized and will continue to be as scrutinized as I'd say any player since Johnny Manziel. And I know Mayfield doesn't want those comparisons. I just mean from a way that he's evaluated and an intrigue factor, that is the level Baker Mayfield is on. That Manziel, that Tim Tebow level, um, I, you know, if you want to go back to Reggie Bush at USC, although running backs naturally aren't given that kind of um, pressure or that kind of attention like the quarterback position is. That's just the nature of the beast. But that's what we're talking about with Baker Mayfield. So it was good that he played. I'm glad that he played. He honored his commitment, which I think shows a guy that doesn't think he's too big for that game or too big for that event. He was a team player. I actually think that what Mayfield did after the fact was more impressive. He was a rah-rah guy on the sidelines. He was active. He didn't just sit down and be a prima donna, sit by himself. Now, he did leave at halftime, which some people got on him for, but I I really don't think that's a big deal. Um, His mother's in the hospital dealing with a health issue. You know, he can go at halftime. You know, he paid his dues. He didn't know if he was going to play, and it's a wash. That's what I'd call it for Baker Mayfield. The senior bowl, it was a total wash. Now, two guys that... I thought impressed. Oboro Kuanquo, the Oklahoma linebacker, who just continues to be one of those guys that I think is going to be a steal in the NFL draft. I'm not a draft guru, so I don't know where exactly he could end up, but I just know whoever takes him, wherever he goes, he is going to outperform where he was drafted. He showed off his rushing ability a couple of times off the edge and flashing his speed in that second quarter. And and I thought that was pretty dominant stuff for a guy who, yes, was a first-team All-Big 12 linebacker. But let's be honest, when the national media guy or um, the run-of-the-mill pro scout who doesn't pay attention to the Big 12, he's not looking at the Big 12 often for defense. He's looking on the offensive side of the ball. But ironically, it was a fellow defender as well in Puna Ford, the Texas defensive tackle, that had himself a really nice afternoon. Another guy that was drawing consistent double teams on the interior of the defensive line. Um, He was splitting those double teams when he needed to. He was chasing down Wyoming quarterback Josh Allen. That struck out to me. That stuck out to me big time. So I have a lot of these videos on Heartland College Sports. You can see it in our article on the Senior Bowl. And there was a lot that Puna Ford did that I think actually helped 
his draft stock because he's not a Baker Mayfield where there's you know all this attention on him. Guys like Puna Ford can help themselves in these kind of events like the Senior Bowl. So Okoronkwo and Ford were two guys that I thought helped themselves and exceeded expectations a bit. Mayfield's a wash, and you know the rest of the guys, uh, Marcel Aitman. Alan Lazard were under underused or poorly used. You know, when you're throwing the Alan Lazard in the flat, that's just a bad idea. I mean, he's not a Danny Amendola guy who's going to weave his way through the defense and slither through for five, six yards. I, I want to throw the ball up down the field to Alan Lazard. That's what I'm looking to do. <laughs> I mean, I was I'm like, what are we doing a, a pass in the flat to Alan Lazard for? That makes no sense. <laughs> It didn't, but you know, once again, that's a guy that's um, gonna have plenty of chances to prove himself in front of NFL scouts moving forward. All right, so we have uh, another college game day coming to the Big Twelve this weekend at Texas, who's hosting Oklahoma. So a Red River rivalry version of college game day. Not the same pizzazz, not the same juice, but hey, it is what it is. One of our contributors and, and columnist Cameron Brock wrote about this, and, and it got a lot of attention on our site. He thought that College Game Day was in many ways doing this because it promotes the Longhorn Network. You know, last week they were at West Virginia, Kentucky, and that was to promote the SEC Network. Of course, they're tied to the SEC. This week, oh, you know, we got another Big 12 game intact. No, it's not the case. It's really just about trying to indirectly promote the Longhorn Network. Remember, once again, it's not about sticking it in your face. There are ways to do things and have subtlety to it that can still accomplish an end goal for a person, a company, whatever it might be. So that was Cam's opinion, and it was well thought out and I thought, you know, well put together. I don't agree with it for the simple fact that I think it came down to this. The game I believe that College Game Day probably had its sights set on was Indiana-Michigan State. I know Indiana's having a down season, but you would have a legendary program in Indiana, a fan base, of course, that is obsessed with college basketball, home taking on a top-five team, looking to pull off the upset. There's a lot of storylines there. You got the Big Ten. On top of that, you know, I know we're only a couple of weeks in, but game day had not involved the Big Ten team yet, so it would have been the perfect time to go dive into some Big Ten hoops. Well, then you have the explosive outside the lines report last week involving Michigan State and Tom Izzo. And how do you have college game day, even though it's not at Michigan State, how do you do it involving a Michigan State team with this scandal surrounding the program right now? It's it's impossible to have an honest show about this game or at least surrounding this game and not bring that up. And that puts everybody in a very uncomfortable situation. So I don't know this. I'm just looking at the schedule and saying, okay, you know, they started things off two weeks ago because remember college game day for basketball just started after the students get back from a winter break. They did Florida at Kentucky. They did Kentucky at West Virginia. And now they're doing Oklahoma at Texas. Well, yeah, two Big 12 teams on back-to-back weeks is a little weird. Um, you know, for a conference that the Big 12 didn't get a football game that wasn't OU or uh, Texas for, what, multiple years. Now they're going back-to-back Big 12 basketball games? Odd, strange. But they couldn't do Michigan State-Indiana. 
And then what else? You know, the other decent games. Alabama at Florida. I think that is intrigued to it after especially what Alabama did to OU. But they did Florida two weeks ago to open up the uh, college game day season. Are they going to go to Florida or at least involve a Florida team for the second time in three weeks? And are they going to do an SEC team for the third time in four weeks? I don't think they can do that. And outside of that, there wasn't much else intriguing. Virginia and Syracuse, eh, and uh, I'll pass. Also, it's on ACC Network. Not a lot of juice behind it. So I think it was just ultimately coming down to the fact that there weren't many options. And the obvious option out there was one that ESPN couldn't touch right now because of the scandal and the situation involving Michigan State. So Big 12 fans should take it, enjoy it, have fun with it, but I am not... I repeat, I am not going to let ESPN off the hook next football season if they forget about the Big 12 again, and then they say, well, you know, we got you two straight basketball games. Doesn't count. I'm sorry. The college game day show in basketball is peanuts compared to the football show. And ask any Big 12 fan, they'd take six college game days for hoops and trade it for one college game day in football. That's the reality. It just doesn't have the juice behind it. And it's not because of the arrogance of Jay Billis, believe it or not. It's simply because football is not basketball or basketball is not football. Pete Munda with you on Heartland College Sports Weekly. We wrap it up next. A big Monday reaction, a good one. But once again, Kansas controls this conference and also coordinator hires in the Big 12. All that and more coming up on Heartland College Sports Weekly. So you know what Big Monday this week told me about the Big 12 Conference? Bill Self still has the rest of the Big 12, the other nine teams, the other nine coaches, in the palm of his hand, and he plays them like a fiddle. Pete Mundo wrapping it up with you on Heartland College Sports Weekly. Always appreciate you joining us, and of course, in between shows, Find us at heartlandcollegesports.com. You get myself and the entire Heartland College Sports staff of Cam Brock, Derek Duke, Matthew Postens, Dave Beal, all of us. Just every day, there is a ton of new Big 12 content, and we appreciate you guys coming along for the ride. So, after the game, Kansas State gets blown out by Kansas. I don't want to say it gets blown out, but even when Kansas made Kansas State made little runs here and there, it just felt like it was Kansas's game. It did. You never really felt like the Jayhawks were in any kind of danger. And after the game, Bruce Weber comes out and admits, "Yeah, we didn't prepare for any zone." Now, <laughs> I understand it's a short turnaround. You got the Big Twelve SEC Challenge on Saturday. You're playing Big Monday. That being said, you're home. And I know you didn't expect any zone. But how do you not spend five minutes on it? Just five minutes. That, that's why this is Bill Self's conference. You know, I look around the Big 12, and, and I have a lot of respect for guys like Jamie Dixon, uh, for guys like Lon Kruger. You know, I got some respect for Bruce Weber. 
Bob Huggins, ton of respect for Bob Huggins. Shaka Smart had a good run at VCU. He has yet to prove it to me on a Power 5 level. I love Chris Beard. You know, Scott Prohm's going to do good things. Uh, Mike Boynton, I don't know about him yet. You get the point. None of these guys are out coaching Bill Self. It's just not happening. So Kansas, if there was ever a year with the depth of the Big 12 Conference, with the fact that this is not a classic Bill Self Kansas team, it's not. Got a good mixture of veterans and Devontae Graham and some some young guys as well getting in the mix, but this is not a great Kansas team. But they're going to win their 13th straight Big 12 title. I don't have any doubt about it. I thought maybe after the loss to Oklahoma last week, all of a sudden that gap for the top spot closes a game. But the rest of these teams are too flawed. Not that they're not good, but in terms of unseating Kansas, they're too flawed. And I know Kansas has flaws too, but they got the X factor in Bill Self. And that's what it's going to come down to in the Big 12, like it seems to always do. So I'm, I'm looking forward to this thing going down to the wire, whether it is um, at this point, uh, you know, who is it going to be? West Virginia, Oklahoma. You know, I got Oklahoma, Kansas next week on Big Monday. Uh, that's kind of all it's down to at this point. At least if I were a betting man, that's, that's kind of it. So we, we'll see. We'll watch it play out, but... Bill Self's going to get his 13th straight Big 12 title. There's no doubt in my mind about that moving forward. Pete Munda with you, Heartland College Sports Weekly. couple of uh, coordinator hires this week. First, you've got Texas Tech hiring Western Michigan's Kevin Johns as the offensive coordinator. My initial thoughts on this is I did some research on Johns. I'm not going to act like I knew who Kevin Johns was at Western Michigan. I didn't. Um, he was at Indiana before that. So... He's got a good mixture of understanding the spread principles, but also mixing in kind of that power run game that Tom Herman is used at Houston and is trying to implement at Texas. And that's what Cliff Kingsbury did. I went through the numbers, and in 2016, the Red Raiders only ran the ball 389 times, dead last in the Big 12. This past year, you noticed it that Texas Tech tried to run the ball more. It wasn't always effective, but they tried. 459 rushing attempts this year. That's up. You're looking at 70 rushing attempts on the season, so 7-8 a game, give or take. That's a big jump, and this hire tells me that Kevin Johns is brought in to keep those spread principles that he learned from Kevin Wilson, but also incorporate this running game because he was at Western Michigan, and the running game... Averaged 225 yards per game. That was 21st in the country and second in the MAC. Pretty darn good. So that's what that hire tells me about what Cliff Kingsbury is looking to do moving forward. Now, does he have the horses to do that on the offensive line? He's got Jack Anderson, but the rest of the offensive line, I don't know the answer right now. I don't know if Cliff Kingsbury knows the answer, but I appreciate the fact that he's moving away from that traditional just five wide and spread them out, and you know maybe you have a running back once or twice a drive. I think that's smart, and I think Cliff Kingsbury is evolving on that, and that's a good thing. Mike Gundy hires defensive coordinator Jim Knowles from Duke. Now, this is pretty interesting, which 
you think about it, I did not expect this to be the case. I'm not watching a lot of Duke football. I'm not. Here's a number for you from Duke. The defense ranked number 18th in stop rate at 74%, the same rate as the Big 12's best defense. Now, hang on a sec. That's a good number. Even better. The ACC had five of the top 21 offenses in terms of efficiency. You'd say, well, the Big 12's got to have five, right? No. The Big 12 only had two of the top 21 offenses in terms of efficiency. So Jim Knowles did more against more efficient offenses than what most of the Big 12 defenses did. So a lot of people don't know Jim Knowles. Early 50s, uh, was at Duke the last bunch of seasons, was the head coach at Cornell prior to that. And no one knows him, but Mike Gundy, we know Mike Gundy's not afraid to go into the uh, no-man's land to find his coaches. Not that Duke's no-man's land, but relatively speaking it is. And he's got himself a guy who has a great track record. So I'm excited to see what Jim Knowles can do. And he's built up and developed some great linebackers at Duke. He had a couple of freshman All-Americans in 2016. So I think there's a lot of potential here. I'm excited for it. And I think Gundy took his time. But hopefully it's a hire that pays off because this team is just an above-average defense away from really competing year in, year out at the top of the Big 12. I know that they've won the 10-plus games, but Oklahoma State wins the games it's supposed to and it loses the games it's supposed to. And I think it's time for them to get over that hump. Pete Mundo with you on Heartland College Sports Weekly. Always appreciate you guys joining us. We will talk to you next week. Same time, same place. Find us at heartlandcollegesports.com. You guys are awesome. Thank you for listening. And if you want to do me a big favor, rate, review, subscribe, iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. And if you want free koozies, send me a screenshot of that review. Pete Mundo at heartlandcollegesports.com. And I will ship you out a couple of free Heartland College Sports koozies. What more can you ask for? It's pretty darn good. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you next week.